Let's do it. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 9. Special welcome to our online family tuning in today. So glad that you're with us. If you're down in the chapel, want to welcome you as well. And I'm really excited about the passage that we're going to look at today and today's message because honestly, there's nothing fancy to it, but I think it's just super practical and I hope that it will help all of us. We're continuing in our sermon series called Mirror, Mirror. And I can't help but to think of a mirror that we had in my house as a kid. It was just a pretty regular mirror. It sat on the bathroom counter and it had like a stand on it. And then it had lights on the side you could turn on. It's like if you're going to do your makeup or something. But the real fun happened when you turned it over because it was one of those mirrors that magnified. You remember those? And when you're a kid, it's awesome because your head is like huge and you like do funny things with your eyes. You like to make faces and stuff. When you're an adult, it's no bueno. The wrinkles just get bigger. You know what I mean? Like, no. But when you're a kid, it's awesome. And we love those magnifying mirrors as kids. As we're going through this series, Mirror, Mirror, we're holding up a mirror to our lives. And we said that the Bible, when we read the Bible and study the Bible, it's like a mirror that shows us what's going on in our heart. And as I was getting ready for this week and just thinking about this passage I thought, man, for me, this is the week where we're on the magnified setting, where it exposes some of my flaws, some of my dark stuff. We're going to talk about something that I've struggled with, and probably some of you have as well, when we get too wrapped up in what other people think about us. We're going to talk about reputation today. And all of us care about our reputation. All of us care about what others Think about us. And you hear people go, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. That's not true. We all care what people are thinking about us. And I'm going to tell you, I think that's a good thing. I think we should care. In fact, the Bible says it's healthy. The Bible says that a good name or a good reputation is better than riches. A good reputation is better than all the gold and silver in the world. But we all know someone who has become way too consumed with what people think about them, like it drives them, it's all they think about. And we know that that's unhealthy. And so like there's got to be a balance that we care about our reputation. We want people to think good things about us, but we don't become consumed by it. So we're going to look up at that balance a little bit today and just ask a couple of questions. Pretty simple. First, should Christians really even care about our reputation? I mean, is this just a popularity contest? Is this just sort of a, a worldly thing? Maybe, in fact, Christians shouldn't care about reputation. We're going to look at that and then try and answer the question, does the Bible have anything to say about how we would build a reputation. So that's what we're going to try and do today. So jumping into the book of Acts, and what I love about Acts is it's this big grand narrative about how the church starts, and it takes place over years and all over the world, and these incredible things happen, but we also get these stories dropped in of these unique individuals, and we're going to look at one of those stories today. So what's your reputation? Acts chapter 9 Verse 36, here we go. It says this. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. And I just want to slow down there for a second because Luke is giving us a whole bunch of information here about this person and about the setting and about the context and about just the whole scene. So let me, let me show you a couple things. First, we get this word, we get this place setting here that it's all happening in 
Joppa. So here's the deal with Joppa. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. It shows up. The city shows up in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, quite a bit. It's this famous harbor. It's this really important place. And so like Solomon has all the materials for the temple delivered there, all the big cedar timbers he has sent through this this port, into this harbor. Jonah, the prophet Jonah, remember big fish, whale thing? Jonah, who wants to run away from God, the Bible says that Jonah goes to Joppa to get on a boat to flee God. It's an important harbor. It still exists today. Today it's called Jaffa. But Joppa is this place in the Bible and throughout history that it's so important, it's fought over. And a number of nations have ruled. So the Romans have ruled Joppa. The Philistines ruled Joppa. Uh, But a couple hundred years before this is all taking place, the Jews regained control of this city called Joppa. And so this is a, a mostly Jewish city with a lot of Jewish culture to it. And we get this other interesting little thing here. We get this word disciple. And you go, what's the big deal? We, we hear the word disciple all the time in the Bible. Well, this particular word disciple only shows up one time in the whole Bible, and it's right here. And, and what it really means is a disciple who's a woman. It's the only time it happens. This is the only woman described in the entire Bible as a Disciple. The Greek word there is matetreia. It's only used once. It's used right here. So Jesus' mom, Mary, not described as a disciple. Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' best friends who was at his crucifixion and at his grave, never described as a disciple. No one else is described, matetreia, as a disciple. Anna, the prophetess, who says, this is the guy we've been waiting for when Jesus is born, not described as a disciple. Disciple, And so we're kind of getting this picture that there's something important. There's something impressive about this person that we would basically invent a new term to describe how she follows Jesus. There must be something about her that she's so committed that she has changed what it means to even follow Jesus that we come up with a whole new word. Filed out of way. I'll show you why. And then it says, so we meet her. Her name is Tabitha, it says. And in Greek, her name is Dorcas. Great name. I mean, let's just get it out there right now. Great name. So she has this Aramaic name of Tabitha, but that's not what she goes by because she's not Jewish. She's Greek. And why this matters is because Christianity at the time is still a predominantly Jewish religion. So what I mean is, Ethnic Jews who realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and they started to follow him. They're like, this is the Messiah. This is the guy we've been waiting for. They start to follow him. They make up most of this first century movement called Christianity. Certainly there are non-Jews that are Christians at this time, but predominantly it's a Jewish religion. Here's why it all matters. Because we're in Joppa, a Jewish city, Luke uses this word, disciple, matetreia, to describe a Greek woman. And the implication is, again, there must be something about this person. There must be something so impressive about her that she did something amazing, that she rose up out of second-class citizenship as a Greek. She rose up into Jewish society, Jewish culture, in this mostly Jewish religion to become a person of prominence. The implication is that she has done something massive for the kingdom of God, that her commitment to Jesus is something to be noted 
is painting a picture that this Tabitha, whoever she is, she has revolutionized what it means to follow Jesus. Watch this. Here's her story. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always known for doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him, and they urged him, please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where they had placed her body. Listen to this. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So we're in Joppa, historic Jewish town. It's early on in the church. These incredible things are happening. The church is expanding rapidly. Miraculous things. People are finding out about Jesus. People are being baptized and following Jesus by the thousands. I mean, thousands of people at a time choosing to follow Jesus. Peter's just done this miraculous thing. He healed a man that was paralyzed. Now, they had seen Jesus do it many times, but now Peter is doing it. Now the disciples are able to do some of this stuff. And we meet this woman named Tabitha in Greek because she's a Greek woman. Her name is, is Dorcas. And she's such a committed follower that we create a new word. We assign an entirely new word to her. And she dies. And the people all come around her. They come to mourn to celebrate the incredible things that she did for the kingdom of God. Did you hear it? Did you hear what it says that she did? She made robes and other clothing for widows. Like, what? That's it? You made some robes? That's the story of Dorcas. She made robes for widows. Are you kidding me? That's all you got? You're reading the story and you're going, oh, she must have like saved orphans from a burning building. Like something exciting is going to happen. No, she sewed some robes. Like, do we need robes? Why is this in the Bible? I mean, we hear John say that if we had written down everything that Jesus did, just in the short life, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, there's not enough books in the world to describe all his wondrous things that he could do. But we took up ink for this. We put this in the Bible. I don't know, I read that and I go, man, isn't it just like God to draw our attention to a story like this? Like, isn't it just like God to go, no, 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 listen, I've told you about the Pauls and the Peters and, and, and you've learned about, you know, Moses and Elijah and David and Isaiah. You, you've heard all those stories. I want, I want to tell you about my girl, Tabitha. She's a rock star for the kingdom. Really, God? What did she do? She made robes. <laughs> she sewed some blankets. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't it just like God to go, that is the picture of a real disciple, someone who made a real difference. She died. People are mourning. Here all these widows show up and, and they go, Peter, let us tell you about our friend Tabitha. Maybe you've met her. Maybe you've never even heard of her. 
when we were cold, when we had nothing, she brought us robes. She made sure that we had everything that we needed. When we were hungry, she, she brought us food. I mean, as you're reading the Bible, if you haven't noticed yet, there's sort of a pattern. God does this. He uses like insignificant people and he does these insignificant things. And yet somehow the way God makes it all happen, it has this incredible impact. I mean, if you just, if you just think about this story for a minute and, and where it happens in the Bible. So we're in Acts chapter nine. The beginning of Acts chapter nine is the story of the, it's the conversion of the apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is prior to this. He, he's like hating, killing Christians. He meets the resurrected Jesus. Jesus calls to him from heaven by name. He, he hits him with a flash of blinding light. Paul is, is convicted. He sees Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. And he's about to begin his missionary journeys where he's going to plant churches all over the world. The Apostle Paul, other than Jesus himself, the, the Apostle Paul is the most effective missionary, maybe of all time, certainly of his time. Here we are, chapter 9. This big story. The Apostle Paul is being converted to follow Jesus. It's a thing that will, it's an event that will change history and change Christianity forever. And God goes, pull the car over for a minute. I want to talk to you. I, I want to tell you about Tabitha. Isn't this just like God? Not to only look at the headliner, not to look at the people we would call the main characters, but to see everyone, to name the extras, to see the person hiding in the back row. And there's something about this. Like, doesn't it give us so much hope that maybe we have a place, maybe we have a role in the kingdom of God? If this woman sews robes and God's like that, I celebrate that so much, I want that in the Bible. I want that story in my word. Isn't there hope for us that maybe there's a place, there's a role for us in God's kingdom? There's something about this story that it just feels like, man, this is just like God to do this. Just when I thought it was all about Paul, or just when I turned to chapter 10, and it's all about Peter. It's the, chapter 10 is the commissioning of Peter. He's going to go and, and, and lead the church to the Jews. We've got the Apostle Paul. We've got Peter. The, the, the church fathers, these guys are pillars. They're the foundation of the church. And Acts is all about the church getting started. And right in the middle, God goes, give them four verses on Tabitha. I want to show them what a real disciple looks like. Yeah, there's these headlining guys, Paul and Peter. Let me, let me show you Tabitha. God, what does she do? She sews robes for people in need. Oh, man. That's cool. I want to spend a few minutes and drill into her story and look at her reputation because what, what happened? What is it about her that when she dies, people, people show up to mourn because this woman had made an impact in their lives. And so I want to talk about how we arrive at this place, how she made an impact, how that became her reputation. But before that we do that, I want to just back up to this first question that we asked. I said this earlier. It's like, should Christians care about our reputation? I want to start here. And we'll deal with it quickly, but it's, it's trickier than we might think because on, on one hand, you might go, yeah, yeah, of course we should care about our reputation. But there are some passages in the Bible. It gets a little it gets a little messy. So I told you one of them earlier, Proverbs 22. 
says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And you hear that and you go, okay, problem solved. Yes, we should care about our reputation. It's super important. Then Jesus throws this at us. He says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That clears it right up. And also, that's what I want to be a part of, where people hate me and exclude me and insult me. Right? So it's a little bit, it's a little messy. Are we supposed to care about our reputation? Or are we supposed to not care? I think the answer to that is yes. I think it's both. I think for Christ followers, we should care about our reputation. Paul writes to Timothy and he says the elders of the church, the leaders of the church should be people who aren't just respected inside the church, but they're respected outside. Their coworkers, the community respects them. I think we should all aspire to that. We should care what people think of us. I mean, I think that goes back to why we're even here. I mean, if you go back to the early pages of scripture, you go back to Genesis 1 and God tells us why he made us. It says in Genesis 1, it says that God created male and female, and he made us, what? In his image. Well, if you're made in the image of something, you're, you're sort of a model, you're a representation of something. Part of the reason that we're even on earth is to represent God, to reflect his goodness and his character and his love to the world. Jesus says something similar. He says, my disciples will be my witnesses, my messengers. You'll go on my behalf. You represent me. And so I think that, that we look at this and we go, yeah, we should, as Christ followers, desire to have a good reputation because we're an image, we're a reflection of the character of God. And yet there's this tension, right? There's this point. Because you know someone, or maybe you yourself have fallen into this pattern where you, boy, you really care what other people think about you. And it almost becomes consuming. It keeps you up at night. It changes the way you act and talk and dress because all you care about is what other people think about you. And I think all of us would go, well, that's not healthy, right? And so there's this tension. Yeah, we want to care about what other people think about us, but we don't want to be consumed by it. It's like, what do we do with that? What do we do with Jesus saying, blessed are you when people hate you. I, I, I think this helps explain it. Romans chapter 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So it's like, yeah, we should care what people think about us up to a point, up to a certain point. And there just are a lot of things that are outside of our control, aren't there? I mean, I can't tell people what to think about me. I can't decide for them what they're going to see in me, what they're going to say about me. Like, I, I, I can't control that. So for me, I know just wrestling through this over the years, I wrote something down a number of years ago. And as I, as I had fallen, like I have many times, I had fallen into sort of this pattern of being overly concerned about what people think about me. And so I just wrote down this thought, sort of my own way of saying, uh, Romans 12, maybe it helps you, maybe it doesn't. I just say, I've done all that I can that people would see Christ in me. That's enough. 
Like, I've done all that I can that people would see Christ in me. That's really all I can do. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. You can't make up everybody's mind what they're going to think about you. You can't control that. You let people see Christ in you, and then that's all we can do. I think that's what the Bible asks of us. Do all that we can do that people would see Christ, and then... That's it. That's enough. So let's go back to how we build a good reputation. And I want to go back to Tabitha. What is it about her? What is it about her reputation that people would show up? It's more than robes, right? I mean, it's got to be more than robes. Anybody can drop off a box of clothes at the Goodwill. It's like, that's a fine thing, but like, it's got to be more than that. So what did she do? Go back to the passage. And I think Luke gives us two ways that she builds her reputation. So it says, she was always doing good and helping the poor. I think if you want to take notes, you can write this down. The first way she built her reputation was through repetition. This word always stands out to me. She was always doing good. She was consistent. Her good wasn't that she occasionally threw five bucks to somebody that was holding a sign. I mean, maybe she did, and that can be a good thing, but that's not what we're celebrating here. She's being celebrated because she was consistent She developed this reputation through repetition over and over and over again. She showed up when people had a need. When people were cold, she brought them a robe, a blanket. When they needed food, she brought them food. She was always doing good. She showed up consistently over and over again. And I think so often we think about reputation. We think about this really big sort of public spectacle kind of thing. Like if I'm going to have the reputation I want to have, I've got to be hyper successful. I've got to be super wealthy. I've got to be uber generous. Like if I could donate $50 million to build a new wing at a hospital, it's like, okay, that's cool. Like that would be awesome if you can do that. But is that the only reputation that we have is this sort of big public? No, I think it's about being consistent. I think it's about being consistent with our family. I think it's about being reliable with our coworkers. And I know that sounds really boring, but just this consistency, right? So don't overlook why this, why this is important to God. Don't overlook why God might put this in this, in this story in Acts. He's trying to show us, I think, he's trying to show us something about himself and how he builds his reputation. I mean, think about it. How did you decide that you could trust God? How did you get to a point where you go, I can, I can trust God. How did he build his relationship with you? Through flashy stuff? Through the big stuff? I mean, it's possible. God has certainly done some pretty flashy things. But like for me, the reason I know that I can trust God is because he's comforted me over and over and over again. And he's provided for me in repetition over and over and over again. And he's forgiven me of the same sin that I keep committing over and over and over and over and over again. Don't overlook that being godly is really boring most days. Don't overlook that following Jesus and being Christ-like feels some days really mundane. See, we get these few verses about Tabitha, but think about what it took to get here. It took in the middle of the summer when it was scorching hot, Tabitha sitting in her home with fabric sitting on her lap and she's sewing because she knows winter's coming, right? 
Was that exciting? Was she going, man, this is going to be in the Bible someday? No, it was boring and it was hot and it was miserable. And she thought it's the middle of summer. Why am I making robes and blankets and all that stuff? Nobody cares about this, but she knew to be consistent because someday somebody's going to need this. Being godly, being Christ-like is often this boring repetition of consistency, but it's how we build a reputation that we can be trusted, that we are reliable over and over. We show up. Go to the second part of her story. She's always doing good at helping the poor. Her reputation is also built on a relationship. Tabitha was known by these people. She had a relationship. So when she died, you look at who showed up at the funeral. It's not like the most powerful. It's not the wealthy. It's not somebody to give her a plaque. It's people. It's real people who are like, this woman helped me. Like She served me, and I knew her. I had a relationship with her. We live in this era. I don't know, maybe in some ways we're sort of cursed by living in the time in history that we do, that when we think of reputation, we think of this large public thing. In fact, many of us have created a virtual reputation. We're just an image on a screen, and that's what we're reflecting to the world. A virtual reputation that you might have with people that you never interact with or, or rarely interact with. Like nowadays, it's cool. You have 10,000 friends on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, I wonder if you have 10 people in your life that can trust you. I wonder if you have 10 people in your life that really know you. And I know it sounds really boring, but you think about that. The people that know you, who do they know you to be? Somebody that they can trust? What's your reputation with them? I mean, that's what, we're, that's what we're seeing with Tabitha. It's like these people that know her. She's in their life regularly. They have a relationship with her. They know when we're cold, Tabitha shows up with blankets. When we're hungry, she makes sure that we have food. And she does it over and over and over again. And she knows these people, and they know her. You have 5,000 followers on Twitter who cares? I mean, honestly, maybe that's cool. If, if you do, bless those 5,000 people in some way. But you look at Tabitha and you go, okay, how many of those people would show up and go, boy, you really changed my life. I mean, you really helped me when I needed help. You really loved me when I needed to be loved. Like the people that know you, what's your reputation with them? Can they count on you? Do they see God's character growing in you? Do they really know you? You've, they get past those walls. You put those walls down. They actually have a relationship with you? I don't know. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus said, um, let your light shine. Let your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and that in that they would see the character of the love of God. And, and, and I think about that, a, a light bulb, you screw a light bulb into a fixture. Who's most impacted by the light? Is it people four rooms away? No, it's the people in the room, right? It's the people closest to that light. We want to think so big about what my reputation is. I want to be known by all kinds of people. What about the people right around you? The people in your home, what's your reputation with them? 
think Jesus, when, when you look at his life, it's like, did he care what people thought about him? I think he cared what his friends thought about him. I, keep, I think he cared that they knew him and that they knew they could trust him. The crowd? I mean, I think he wanted them to know the truth and feel loved, but did he lose sleep because people didn't like him? Because the religious leaders didn't like him? I, I don't think so. I don't see that. So as we hold up the mirror of Scripture and we start to think about reputation, you go, what am I known for? What is the thing that people know me for? What's my reputation? I wonder if we have to think smaller. What's my reputation with my family? What's my reputation with my coworkers? How about my small group? Do they know they can pick up the phone and call me and no matter what time of day it is, I'll be there? Do, do the people that are closest to me, do they see me trying to follow Jesus and seeing God actually change my life? We think so big. We hear people say, I want to be a YouTube star or an influencer. How about influencing your family? How about influencing your friends towards Jesus? How about influencing your coworkers in a positive way? If we started smaller, if you think about the, if we all started to influence our small circle, think about the impact that could have exponentially. I'll end with this, sort of with this thought, because we're talking about reputation, and maybe some of you are, are, are hearing all this, and you're thinking, yeah, that's cool, but my reputation is garbage. It's been destroyed because someone slandered me, or because, you know, you did something stupid, and we ruin our own reputation all the time. There's something about this. Where Jesus goes, oh, people hate you? Yeah, they hated me too. Oh, your family's a mess? They don't talk to you anymore? You're like the outcast? Yeah, my family was pretty messy too. If your reputation's been trashed, if your name's been drugged through the mud, there's Jesus going, come on in. Welcome. I know exactly what you're feeling. And here's the hope. No matter what anyone says about you, no matter what anyone thinks about you, your Father knows you. Your Heavenly Father knows you. And no matter what you've done and what you've said and what you've thought, He knows it all. His reputation is that He still shows up, right? Over and over and over again. Let's pray. Father and our God, we are grateful that we can trust you because you've shown up time and time again. Not only do you say that we can trust you, but you've proven it. You've comforted us when we're lonely over and over. You've provided for us over and over. You've forgiven us time and time again. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're the same today as you were yesterday and you'll be the same tomorrow. You don't change. God, for some of us, man, we feel like our reputation is garbage. We've been unjustly slandered. We've been gossiped about. We've been lied about. People have been turned against us in unfair ways. God, I don't have an answer for that, but I do know that we're in good company with Jesus. He was lied about and slandered and mistreated in so many ways. 
There's no pain that we could feel that, Jesus, you haven't experienced. We join you when we suffer. We join in your suffering. Thank you for that comfort. God, for, for us, as we think about our reputation, would you help us to build a reputation first with those closest to us, that our family and our friends and our coworkers, that our small groups could trust us, would know us. God, help us to let down the walls of so many of us live in this virtual world where no one really knows us, where we just put up a facade, an image. Help us to put those down, let some people in. They would see you working in us, that we would be the image that we're intended to be. God, we can't do that on our own. On our own, we'll make a mess of things. Help us to see the circle of people that you've put right around us, however small that might be. Help us to start there. Build our reputation there, God, by the power of your spirit. Help us to be like Jesus to those around us, to not be caught up, to not lose sleep in what everyone thinks about us, but to know that you know us and you keep showing up. You're not done with us. And you have people and relationships in our life for a reason, God. Help us to follow your lead. Thank you for Jesus, who is our model. Thank you for Jesus, who gives us hope, who lost his life so that we could have life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.